I know that for many of you, today is an amazing day where we, we get to celebrate our dads and like me, you know, you have amazing memories of a dad that was there and that loved you and, and for others it's a little bit more challenging. Um, dad wasn't, you know, maybe there as much as you thought he should be or you have some challenging memories of, of your childhood. Um, but I just want to, you know, I want to echo Ezra and say good on you for being here, good on you for, for, for pressing in and for being in a community that, that loves you and for, for even just saying, you know what, despite that, I'm just going to be here and, and, and seek God's presence and, and, and try and understand, you know, more deeply how much he loves me. You know, the, the Bible describes God as a, a perfect father who is loving and forgiving and grace-filled and an ever-present, a father who guides us and corrects us. And sometimes when we hear that, we, we, we use our own dad as a reference for how we relate to and understand God. And, and the challenge with that, whether we had an amazing dad or whether we had a dad that was you know, difficult or absent or, or whatever the situation might have been, the challenge with trying to look at our dad and then use that as a reference point for God the Father, is that no matter how amazing your dad was, it'll always fall way short. There is only one perfect father, and that is God. And if you use your earthly father as a reference point, as I said, no matter how good or bad it is, you, it's just not going to even come close to, to, to mirroring who God our Father is in heaven. I came across this amazing quote as I was preparing this message. We're going to throw it on the screen. And it's this, God is not the reflection of your earthly dad. He is the perfection of your earthly dad. I'm going to say it again. God is not the reflection of your earthly dad. He is the perfection of your earthly dad. God isn't everything your dad is or was. He's actually everything that your dad could never be. He fills in the gaps so perfectly Everything that maybe you missed from your dad, our Heavenly Father says, it's okay because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to complete that. I'm going to step in where there's, where there's gaps. He is not a reflection of, of your dad. He's the perfection of your dad. And Paul describes our Heavenly Father in his second letter to the church at Corinth like this, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And today we're going to have a, a look at five ways that God is our perfect Father. And we're going to start by looking at the way that he gives perfect affection. Now, if we, if we look at the dictionary, the, the definition of affection is simply this, a, a feeling of liking and caring for someone or something, a tender attachment, a fondness. It's actually a tangible way in which love is demonstrated and, and, or, or, or yeah, demonstrated and, and received. And I don't know if you've ever heard someone say, oh, I, I love my kids, I just don't like them. Well, the problem with that is that just saying you love them without demonstrating it isn't the way that you love them. You need to be able to demonstrate that you love them. Words when you're a child are not enough. It's the tangible things. It's the affection that you feel as a kid that, that, that you work out, do my, do my parents love me or not? Or do, does my dad love me or not? And it's really hard to love someone if you don't like them. It's really hard to love someone if you, if you don't want to be with them or, or it's really hard to love someone if you choose that you don't want to show affection to them. And as I said, a child will tell you if their parents love them, not by how many times the parent or the dad says, I love you, but by uh, how they perceive and uh, receive affection. 
And our Heavenly Father gives us perfect affection. You know, dads are not always known for their affection. That's a generalisation, but it's, if, you know, if you look traditionally at the, at, at the parents, the mum is the affectionate, caring, kind, cuddly one, and the dad's the stoic, you know, disciplinarian, the provider, the protector. And, um, and, and mums and dads are different. You know, mums operate out of an of, of a emotional side of their brain, and, and dads often operate more out of a logical side of their brain. Um, I know this is true because once uh, Helen and I were going out for dinner, and... Um, the last thing we always do before we go out is we just we let the dogs out. So we let, we let our dog out. She was, um, and just as we were closing the door, she ran back in the house. And we were already late. So Helene went out to the Uber driver and said, he, she, she didn't want the Uber driver to know that our house would be empty for the night. So she just said, oh, he'll be out in a minute. He's just gone upstairs to say goodbye to my mum. Uh, and meanwhile, I'm, I'm inside. And I, and I came out a couple of minutes later. And I get in the Uber. And uh, you should have seen the shock on the Uber driver's face. When I said, I'm sorry I'm late, darling. Um, the stupid thing was under the bed. And I had to, <laughs> I had to get a broom uh, and try and get her out. And We don't always think the same as girls. Like, emotional, logical. Anyway. The Bible says this about our Heavenly Father. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. To know the love of God means to know his affection, to experience his love, not just to read about it or to know that it's true in your head, but to actually feel it. And, and when we feel God's affection, it brings us alive. It actually is one of the, the beautiful things about being adopted into God's family is we can actually experience the tangible love of God. It's actually the thing that, if we think about it, the more we understand God's love and the more we know he loves us, the more we run to him when we're in trouble or when we're in need or when we know we've done something that displeases him as opposed to running from him. Paul said that God's love passes knowledge and that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We cannot fully under, understand or experience God's love without the help of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to give you an opportunity later in the, in the message, at the end of the, the message, to, to, to experience what the love of God really feels like. And there's a paradox in the church, not just our church, but, but the church you know, across the globe. And so many of us, we talk about the love of God but we settle for, for just that and we, we don't push into knowing what it really feels like. And can I encourage you, don't accept, don't accept being falsely encouraged or comforted by the references of God's love without ever understanding the glorious reality of it. Don't just read about it. If you, if you can't remember the last time you felt God's love, can I encourage you to Ask him to show it to you. Can I encourage you to make time to spend with him? Can I encourage you to, to find the passages in the word that says that he is love and that he loves you and that he's your father and not just accept that, yes, I know he loves me, but it doesn't relate to me or I, I don't experience it or maybe that love is for somebody else. Pressing into God and being disciplined in carving out time for him is not an attempt to earn God's love, but it positions us to experience more of it. And that is so important. 
We know that God loves us because he demonstrated his affection by sending us his son Jesus so that we could be in relationship with him. We read this in Romans and I'm reading from the Passion Translation. It says, Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. Can I advise you as a dad, be okay to show affection to your kids. Don't just tell them you love them. Hug them. Spend time with them. Create an environment in your home where your child is happy to run to you when they know that they've made a mistake or when something's wrong, as opposed to running from you because they're scared of the consequences. That is how our God loves us. That is how our Heavenly Father shows us perfect affection. And if you have not experienced that as a a child growing up, can I tell you that you can experience it with our Heavenly Father. And it will change your life. It's actually the thing that keeps us going as followers of Jesus. The second thing is he gives us perfect correction. Very few of us remember our father's correction as perfect. I don't know about you, but um, I don't ever remember a time where I'm like, oh yes, dad, that was, that was amazing. That's exactly what I needed. <laughs> yep, that was, yep. Actually, I, you, I could have had one more, just because I, based on how uh, challenging I was as a child. I grew up in the old school um, era where if you did something wrong, you got disciplined. The hand of correction on the seat of comfort or whatever. That, there's, a, there's a proverb about that, I think. And the truth is that discipline is a challenging part of fatherhood. You know, to smack or not to smack, to ground or not to, to ground, to, you know, th- there are so many variables and, and we're all trying to work out what is the, the correct way. And I'm not sure why... It's the dads often that get sort of handed the, or, or you know, promoted the, the challenge of, of discipline. There may or may not have been a time in my childhood, and I know my parents are watching, so uh, this may, it probably didn't happen. It was bad, a bad dream, I think. <laughs> you know when you get home or you do something wrong and dad's at work and your mum says, just wait till your father gets home. And then dad comes home, he's like, hi, I'm home. And they're like, you need to go and speak to Luke. And he comes in, he goes, hey, what's up? I don't know. Um, I think you're meant to be punishing me or disciplining me. It's not easy. It's not easy being a parent and it's not easy, easy understanding how to discipline in a way that, that you know, brings growth and, and correction in life. But our father gives us perfect correction. We read this. Oh, actually, uh, there is an illustration I can tell you. Have we got time for a quick illustration? Yeah. Oh, this is funny. <laughs> I remember I was, a, I was an interesting child. I just I need to put that out there. I, I pushed the boundaries. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't disobedient. I was just creative. Let's just say that. <laughs> and I remember one time I, we were in New Zealand. We are at Bible college, and I was meant to be doing music practice. Uh, I was meant to be doing piano practice, and we are in the main hall, you know, and I was there practicing, and... And I actually wasn't practicing. And my dad, I, after about an hour of saying that I was practicing and not practicing, and this may or may not have gone on for weeks and weeks and weeks, my dad, I, I peeked around, I saw him standing there with his, with his clock just doing this. And he said, you weren't practicing again. I told you if you weren't practicing, you'd get punished. So anyway, we went back to the little unit we were all living and I got what I deserved. Um, and as we are walking back to the main area, he said, you realize this hurts me a lot more than it hurts you. And I may or may not have said, well, next time, let's swap places. 
And at that moment, I got a double blessing. I was marched straight back to the unit and... Anyway. What does the Bible say though? That's what we're here for. What does the Bible say about our Heavenly Father when it comes to correction? Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says this. Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord's discipline, the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Notice that it doesn't say punishment. We often get confused with punishment. That that somehow we, we do things wrong and God is going to punish us. It clearly says discipline and not punishment. And the reason it says discipline and not punishment is that if we read in Romans 3, it says that actually the, the heading of this verse in the Bible says Christ took our punishment. It says that God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. I wish I'd known this verse in New Zealand. I would have pulled that out and said, Dad, anyway... God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as, we, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Can I give you one advice as a parent? And this changed our family eight or nine years ago. We read an incredible book called Loving Our Kids on Purpose. And in that book... We, we, were, we got four kids, and they're all creative and, you know, cre- creative, I love that word. Um, and we were struggling, because we were like, how do we get this right? And then we read this book, and it said, wouldn't it be amazing if as parents we related to our children the way that our Heavenly Father relates to us? Where it's more about correction and discipline and moulding than it is about punishment. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't consequences for the things that our kids do wrong, But we read this book where it said, focus on relationship, focus on heart connection, focus on making sure that that you and your kids are so bonded relationally that any time they make a mistake, one, they run to you, not from you. And secondly, the fear or the, the discomfort of breaking relationship is enough for them to say, that was wrong, I won't do it again. And look, our kids aren't perfect, but but by the grace of God they're turning out to be pretty, pretty good. But it's because we decided to say, what does the Bible say about discipline? And how does God discipline and shape us? Don't don't believe the lie that God is up there with a big stick and every time you make a mistake, he's going to go whack. That that is not our God. Our God corrects us because he loves us. Let's keep reading in Hebrews. Verse 7, endure hardships as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have, had, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. In this passage the writer of the Hebrews says there's going to be some stuff happen to us sometimes it's just because and sometimes it's because of our own doing but we need to trust that every time there are consequences every time that there are things that 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 come that uh, we could 
you know, interpret as discipline, it's so that God can shape us and mould us and get us strong. There are so many examples in the Bible, especially in Hebrews, where the writer refers to the heroes of the faith who went through trials, who went through discipline, who went through training so they could be strong and be used for what God wanted them to be useful. And that is the, that is the correction that God has for us. It's not, it's not punishment. It's not like, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. There, see? It's not that. It's, I have something for you to do. And in order to be ready for what I have for you, that is going to be fulfilling every dream and passion you have, and it's going to be changing the world, and it's going to be pointing people to me, you have to be ready. You have to be strengthened. You have to be trained. You have to be disciplined. Just like a prize fighter spends years preparing so the moment he steps in the ring, he knows that he can do what he was sent there to do. It is the same for us. And that is the perfect correction that our Father has for us. He gives us perfect direction, point three. How many men in the room have a perfect sense of direction? How many women in the room think that their man has a perfect sense of direction? No hands. We all think we have perfect sense of direction, but we don't. The direction that our Heavenly Father gives us, though, is not about a destination. You need to understand this. God's not up there saying, go left, go right, move forward, take that job, don't take that job. The direction that he gives us, it's not as a navigator, it's as a creator. God is continually directing our path, not to a place, but so that we can become all that that we were created to be. How many people have tried pottery in the room? How many people have ever done pottery? You know where you put the clay on and you... Yeah? Just like a pot... I I remember in year 11 I made this art project. It was incredible. It was a violin um, made out of pottery and it had hands coming out of it that were playing it. And it took me like weeks. And it was for the the final exam of my year 11 art um, studies and I was so proud of it. And then uh, before I got to the kiln, I bumped it and it crashed and I failed the the year. I know. Anyway. All that to say that... uh, Pottery is great when it's moulded and, 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 and strengthened and, and it's, it's, it's created what it was, it was, it's built for what it was created for, but when it's, when it's just a, a lump of clay, it's, it's useless. The Bible says that in Isaiah, you are our father, we are the clay and you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. So the direction, the perfect direction that God our father gives us is not about whether to go left or right. Think of a a potter with hands on the clay, constantly trying to shape us and mould us and turn us into something beautiful because he has in his mind, he has created us for something. And and, and direction is about when to apply pressure and when to correct and when to to put more of his his arms around us so that we can go in, in the way that we need to go. Not so that we end up somewhere, but so that we can become something for him. I want to show you a a photo on the screen. This is a a pot, a clay jar. Can you imagine that this was created by somebody who had this in their mind before the clay landed on the wheel? They went, I I want to create this. I know what size it's going to be. I know what shape it's going to be. I know what colour it's going to be. They then take the clay, they put it on the wheel and hours of just directing where that clay should go in order to produce that. 
That's the same for our life. We were created to be a beautiful jar with beauty and purpose. We are called in the Bible God's masterpiece. So what happens when we put a piece of clay on the wheel and then the clay says to the potter, could you take your hands off me, please? I need a little bit of freedom. I don't like the pressure. I don't, I don't like you doing that. I, don't, I, I, I know what I'm doing. I'll take it from here. You know what happens to a clay that says that? This. That's, exactly, that's my photo of my year 11 art project. That's what happens when we don't want to take direction from the master potter. And can I tell you that his direction is to turn us into something beautiful because that's how he created us. He not only created you, but he knows what's best for you and he has a plan and a purpose for you. His direction is not controlling, it's not manipulative, and it's never without purpose. But he can't do it if we say, hands off, I've got it from here. Dads, can I just give you an encouragement if you're a dad in the room? The direction that you can give your children... Think of it more as, a, as, a, as the hands of a potter on a piece of clay. It, it doesn't really matter if they choose medicine over law. It doesn't really matter you know, if, they, if, they, if they're not that thrilled in piano lessons. But what matters is, do they know what they're created for? Do they love Jesus? Do they love God's house? Like, I, I speak to a lot of dads who, who say to me, I don't want to... You know, they, they make their kids go to school. They make their kids go to piano lesson. They make their kids go to sport. They make their kids do all this stuff because they know what's best for them. And then when it comes to youth on a Friday night or coming to church, they're like, oh, I, I, don't, want to, I don't want them to, I don't want them to you know, resent God's house. You as a dad, just like a heavenly father, has a responsibility to mould them and shape them and direct them into something. You, you are given the stewardship for a very short period of time. Just make sure that you're directing them in the right ways and, and the right things. And it's not about career or destination, but it's about character. He gives us perfect provision. Paul declares this in the church to Philippi. I'm reading from the message, Philippians 4. You can be sure that God will take care of everything you need. He generously, his, generous, his generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. God will take care of your every need. But you need to understand that he knows your needs better than we know our own needs. And so often we, we pray, God, I need this, or this is what I really need. And we don't understand that God still provides for us because we don't get what we expect, or we don't get the answer that we think we should get, or we don't get it in the time that we should. Helen knows all about this because often she'll ask me to go to Aldi and get bread and milk and, and some eggs, and I'll come home with a you know, a trumpet and a marine navigation set <laughs> and forget the eggs. And she's like, I didn't ask for that. I'm like, I know, but like, how good is the marine navigation? We, we might get a boat one day and then we can use it, you know. <laughs> God's not like that. And thank God there's no LD in heaven. Oh, I pray there's no LD in heaven. <laughs> you know, before we moved up here, I was without work. Most of you know that the business crumbled and, and I got some advice, some, some career advice and they said, look, you've had all this experience in hospitality, why don't you go back to the industry? And I went down for an interview in, in Sydney and um, I sat with a, you know, one of those professional executive placement firms and they said, look, you've got a lot of experience 
We've just, in the last few days, had a request for a French-speaking English or New Zealand general manager um, that has had experience working in islands. And I went, fantastic. Uh, it's in Mauritius. I said, that'd be nice, yeah. It's $100,000 a year US tax-free. You'll get eight weeks holiday a year and there are bonuses of up to 40% based on your performance. Now, you've got to understand, I've just come out of losing my business. And I got home and Helene said, um, how'd the interview go? I said, God's a God of provision, darling. We're going to Mauritius. <laughs> we spent the next three weeks looking at schools. We'd, we'd almost enrolled our kids in school. We knew where we were going to live. It was, we were just in heaven. Not once did we stop and go, is this you, God? We just went, must be. How many French-speaking uh, you know, Australian general managers are out there that have had island experience? Anyway, after about a month, she said, have you heard from the people in Mauritius? I said, no, I haven't. So I rang up and they said, oh, no, they, they gave that job internally three weeks ago. Didn't we tell you? I was devastated. And then Helen said, did you apply for that job at Spices, you know, up in Brisbane? I said, no, darling, I didn't. And she said, I, I think God's saying that that's... I had a dream last night that, that you'd be like on the senior team or you'd be managing the place or something. You should apply. So I did. We ended up moving to Brisbane, got planted here. Our marriage was just, we paid off all our debt because I was earning good wage. My kids are thriving. I look back 12 years ago, 12 years from that date, and I think, what would have happened if we had ended up in Mauritius? What would have happened? God provides in ways that we don't even know. he's, He's so far ahead of us. And you need to understand that When God says that I'll provide all your needs, really what he's saying is I'll provide you with more of me. Because honestly, we don't need anything more than we need more of God. Matthew 7, 9 to 11 says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Jesus actually isn't talking about things. He's talking about himself. Scripture tells us that the pursuit of God is the primary function of our life. And how many of us have settled for less than that? How many of us think that God provides things for us instead of understanding that really what he's provided is a relationship with himself? And that that is the most important thing. The truth is we ask God for many things, but the greatest thing we could receive from him has already been given. What God has given us in his son Jesus is light years ahead of any other provision or need that we could ever want. James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Can I ask you a question this morning when it comes to provision, when it comes to you understanding that God is our perfect provider? What is your deepest root of joy? Is it what God gives you? Or is it what God is to you? I'll say that again. Is the deepest root of your joy in your life, is it about what God gives you? Or is it about who God is to you? We have a God that provides a relationship with him. And when we have that, 
our lives become complete. Sure, there'll be challenges, there'll be things that we struggle with, but we can run to a perfect father who knows how many hairs we have on our head, who has a plan and a purpose for our life and knows before we even need to ask what's required for us to get there. And even the greatest of dads who provide us with love and time and provision and gifts fall well short of that. And the last thing, I'm going to ask the band to come up. He gives us perfect protection. I look back at at the fact that I didn't get that role in Mauritius and I see it as God's divine protection. The thing with God's protection is so often we don't realise that God's protecting us because the very thing that doesn't happen, doesn't happen. Does that make sense? He's walking ahead of us going, no, I'm going to, no, I'm going to. So we're oblivious to all of the things that have come against us that because of his supernatural protection don't affect us. The truth is I wanted to go to Mauritius because I was devastated that I'd lost my business, that friends and family had invested their time and their money and and I felt like a complete failure. So the idea of running to a desert island somewhere in the Indian Ocean was heaven. In my mind, I'm like, I owe money because my business has failed. And I saw the dollar signs and the, and the paychecks, and I'm like, that's the answer. But it was all just karma. It was all just me trying to work stuff out in my own head instead of saying, God, what do you want? I know for a fact that if I had have got that job... Now, I trust that God was protecting me. But if I had have not listened to the Lord and run off to the Mauritius and lived on a desert island somewhere... I, I, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be here doing this. I'm pretty sure my kids wouldn't be as whole and as beautiful and as planted as they are. I don't know where my marriage would be. Because that environment, working in resorts and hotels, isn't amazing for marriages. The Bible says in Isaiah, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. In Psalm 91, it says, For he will order his angels to protect you in all you do. They will lift you up in their hands so you do not slip and fall on a stone. You will subdue a lion and a snake. You will trample underfoot a lion and a serpent. Don't, don't go and do that, by the way. Don't think, oh, it's in the Bible, so I'm going to go grab a snake. And The Bible also says, don't test the Lord your God. But what understanding fully what perfect protection does is it gives us rather than a sense of you know entitlement it gives us a sense of humility and it should it should make us so dependent and and so grateful that we have a god that is perfect and that that is constantly ahead of us but often we don't even know making things move away so that we can walk freely, protecting us from from accidents. It doesn't mean that stuff won't come our way. We don't don't live this, you know, Tinkerbell life where everything's amazing and it's not that. But we do know that when things are not how we thought they would be, we can trust that God has a plan and that somehow he's protecting us and even if we don't understand it, we know that he's proven himself and we know we can just rest in that. Dads, if you want to protect your kids, you don't need a gun, you don't need a lock on the door, you know, I mean, all that stuff's fine, whatever. But can I just say that if you want to protect your kids, pray for them. Pray with them. 
create an environment where they know that their Heavenly Father loves them even more than you do. Today is a special day. For some, it's a tough day. As we remember and honour and celebrate dads and, and all the father figures in our life. Not perfect dads, because there is only one perfect dad, but faithful dads, loving dads. And dads who no doubt did their absolute best with what they had and what they knew. Today we are also thankful and grateful that no matter how amazing or not amazing our own dad was, through the ultimate demonstration of his love in sending his son Jesus, we can love and relate to our Heavenly Father, who is not a reflection of our own dad, but the perfection of our own dad. He's everything our earthly dad could never be. He is a perfect father. A perfect father that provides perfect affection and correction and direction and provision and protection. And for that, we should be grateful. Why don't we stand up? We're going to pray together. And ask you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes as I just take a moment to ask a very important question. If your understanding of who God is has changed this morning and you realise that He actually is a loving Father that wants a relationship with you and you don't have that relationship with Him, maybe you once did and maybe for whatever reason you've strayed or you've done your own thing or you've said to Him, take your hand off the clay, I've got this. Or maybe you never have. And because of strained relationships, earthly relationships in your own life, your perception of who God is has been flawed. Can I tell you that God wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you? To mould you into what He created you to be. To show you His affection and His provision and His protection. to train you to be all that you were put on the planet to be and to direct you into a future that you could never have imagined. And all you have to do is to say, I receive that. I receive the gift of grace that was provided to us because Jesus, His only Son, was sent to take the punishment, to take the things that we deserved. And I want to give you that opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And in doing so, you will automatically be adopted into God's kingdom and understand the true love of a heavenly Father. I'm not going to drag this out, but I'm just going to ask if that's you this morning and you want to say, you know what, I want to, I want to follow Jesus because I understand that God actually loves me. He's not angry with me. He's not upset with me. He's not disappointed with me. And He's not up there with a big stick ready to punish me. He just loves me and He wants a relationship with me. My sins are forgiven and that allows me to be in perfect relationship with Him. You may not understand everything, but if your heart is beating out of your chest this morning, can I tell you that God is tapping on your shoulder saying, will you respond? Will you say yes to me? On the count of three, that's you this morning. I'm just going to ask for a hand and we're going to pray together. Just give us a wave that's you. One, two, three. Is there anybody this morning who's saying, you know what, that's me this morning? Just looking on the floor, looking at the tiered section. 
God loves you. He's not angry with you. Nothing you've done, nothing you will ever do can disappoint him or keep you separate from him if you say yes. Looking up there, I can't see anybody. If that is you this morning, if you are making that decision, maybe I haven't seen your hand, can I just ask you that you come and see me as soon as the service is finished? We have a Bible that we want to place in your hand. We want to pray with you and want to give you some next steps of what the next couple of weeks might look like for you. For everyone else, I just have this one question. We're going to keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. When was the last time you truly experienced the affection of your Heavenly Father? Not what you've read, not what you've heard others say, not what you think you once experienced, maybe on a youth camp, but genuinely experienced. When was the last time? And if it was so long ago that you can't remember, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I'm not going to ask you to come down, but I'm just going to ask you to raise a hand or your hands. And while the music's playing, I want this to be your prayer. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, show me your affection. Because once it drops from your head to your heart, your life will never be the same. You will run to Him and not from Him. You will not feel condemnation. You will not feel like you have to live on this tightrope of being perfect. Because in His love, there's there's grace. There's acceptance. So as we worship together, let that be the cry of your heart this morning. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, I want to experience your affection. I want to know the love of the Father. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you love us and that you are a perfect Father. Lord, we thank you for your provision and your protection and your correction and your direction. Father God, we thank you for all the things that you give us, for your affection, Lord. We pray for that this morning as we worship together, that you would flood this place through your Holy Spirit that makes sense of everything. I pray that as we cry out to you, Lord, show me your heart. Let me sense and feel and understand how much you love me this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that there would be transformed hearts this morning. That people would come back to an understanding and an intimacy with you that they may not have known for years. We thank you, God, for our earthly fathers. But Lord, we thank you that you are the perfect father. And that you are not just a reflection of our earthly father, but you are the perfection of our earthly father. We thank you in Jesus' name.